1: well hello hello and to a podcast but a podcast with a different distinction it's me off the cuff talking about everything that i love artistically usually it will be segregated to literature novels books and films but not only that it may be a time where i talk upon cultural things most specifically within the art medium My, whether it's movie news book news culturally what's going on it's literally a podcast about a man on his own staring at the four walls and just thinking what am i it's not a rot! it's an articulate warbling hey everyone welcome back to black clock audio tales i'm your host and editor producer db spitzer Today we're going to be talking about Beowulf or Anglo-Saxon sonnets or something dealing with uh, Old English. So stay tuned uh, or check the show notes and find out specifically what we're going to be talking about. If you want to keep the show going, help support the show, help uh, help keep it on the air. Uh, why not go to pgttcm.podbean.com and become a member of our patrons? Also, look out for upcoming projects. We always have something going on. Become a member of one of our cults: uh, the T-shirt cult, the sticker cult, the uh, I don't know. You know, hey. Um, also, you could support us by going to paypal.me/pgttcm. Or just telling people about us or supporting us and being our friends on social media. Instagram, Black Clock Audio Tales, uh, People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos, Black Clock Audio Tales on Facebook. I'm on Twitter, but I don't do much with it occasionally. I do stuff, but hey, that's about it. So here we go with some Anglo-Saxon Old English talkity stuff. Sonnets 10
0: to 19. 10. 10. There are passages of great beauty and of mysterious import in the Edda as that which describes the twilight of the gods or the final conflict between the gods and the giants, when destruction shall overwhelm the universe, but from which a new creation shall emerge, so also that in the beginning of all things. At the beginning of time there was nothing, neither land nor sea nor foundations below. The earth was nowhere to be found, nor the heaven above. There was an infinite abyss, and grass nowhere. Saxon Mythology In the soft melody of winds and streams, The voice of deity the Grecian heard, And all the love of beauty in him stirred. But the snow-girdled Hecla, with its gleams of lurid fame, wakes sterner, wilder dreams within the Northman's heart, and clothed with form, became the polar frost and fire and storm, things living things to him, not as to us a word. He looked around and saw that mystery veiled all nature, and behind that veil to him there sat a deity, and it he hailed, and bowed his rugged head and sinewy limb. Not to luxurious gods could he resign his faith, to him the strong was the divine, 11. Many indications exist of a spreading disbelief in their old faith, which prepared the northern nations for the reception of the nobler truths of Christianity. Bartholin has collected some instances of this kind. One warrior says that he trusted more to his strength and his arms than to Odin. Another, I do not wish to revile the gods, but Freya seems to me of no importance. Neither she nor Odin are anything to us. Christianity received by the Saxons. 1. The time for change had come. What once had might to sway the spirit and to bless the heart in that old faith had now fulfilled its part, and silently it passes into night. The horologe of time proclaimed the light of Christian day was dawning. Silently it rose above the heaving, restless sea of Saxon mind and made its billows bright. Thus passed for ever Scandinavia's gods, as passed before the Greeks, and ere these died, Egypt's had vanished from their rock abodes, and the Assyrians from the Tigris' side. Forms change, creeds alter, but the truth still lives, and to them all their power and beauty gives. 12. When he, Edwin, King of Northumbria, inquired of the High Priest, Coifee, who should first profane the altars and temples of their idols, with the enclosures that were about them. He answered, Aye, for who can more properly than myself destroy those things which I worshipped through ignorance? As soon as he drew near the temple, he profaned the same, casting into it the spear which he held. The place where the idols were is still shown, not far from York to the eastward, beyond the River Derwent, and is now called Godmundingham or the Home of the Protection of the Gods. Its modern name is Goodmanham, East Riding of York. See Bede's Ecclesiastical History Christianity received by the Saxons, too. It is easy on the accustomed path to tread, worn by the feet of generations past. But he who treads it first, or treads it last, Venturing where all is silent as the dead, Or lingering there when all besides are fled, These are the lofty spirits who unfold New views of greatness, or preserve the old, Both noble, but by different natures led. The Saxon story tells of one who flung His fateful arrow at the idol's shrine, While others round the mouldering ruins hung, whose desolation was to them divine. Types of two classes who must ever be within a land that would be strong, yet free. 13. Merlin, or more properly, Merdhin, is supposed to have lived about the middle of the 5th century. Sharon Turner says in his vindication of the ancient British poems, I think I cannot more decisively prove that these were extant in the time of Giraldus's poems of the 6th century, and of Merlin, than by translating some passages from him on the subject, and adds from Giraldus, the memory of Merlin's prophecies had been retained among the British bards, whom they call poets, verbally by many, in writing by very few. Merlin wrote a little poem, entitled, Avalenau. Or the orchard, which contains many personal allusions, and a wild and touching account of a madness from which he suffered. Merlin And what art thou, an ideal of the great, the personation of a nation's thought, a giant figure by the ages wrought, rather a man for whom time would not wait, but with rough hand consigned thee to the fate of a rude people and untutored age, to bear the name of wizard, not of sage, to be a thing of fear and doubt and hate. Yet wert thou not of nature's worshippers, and knelt beside her mountain altars, lone and silent, where the ocean-sounding firs bent like thy soul upon their rocky throne, as the storm with its phantom wings swept by, bearing the voices of eternity. 14. When he, Augustine, had sat down pursuant to the King's commands, and preached to him and his attendants then present the word of life, Ethelbert answered thus, Your words and promises are very fair, but they are new to us, and of uncertain import. I cannot approve of them so far as to forsake that which I have so long followed with the whole English nation. We will not molest you, but give you favourable entertainment, nor do we forbid you to preach and gain as many as you can to your religion. Bede's Ecclesiastical History Ethelbert Examining the Christian Doctrines Nature hath mighty things, and what are they? The avalanche, the earthquake, and the storm? These for a while, but for a while deform. The mightiest things are those of every day, that like great time pass noiseless on their way. The forest grows unheard, the mountain chain cycles in silence build, and then again crumble and mould it in another form. Tis thus with mind, the greatest change it knows from error unto truth, by patient thought, not noisy speech, within the spirit grows. Nor doth that earnest struggle lead to naught, he who hath felt that truth is hard to reach will for another's faults, fine, gentle speech. 15. Ethelbert was king of Kent in 597. He had extended his dominions as far as the river Humber, by which the southern Saxons were divided from the northern. Before the arrival of Augustine, he had heard of the Christian religion from his queen, Bertha, who was a Frank. Bede says, He compelled none to embrace Christianity, for he had learned from his instructors and leaders to salvation, that the service of Christ ought to be voluntary, not by compulsion. Ethelbert Embraces Christianity Not from indifference, not with hasty tread, from Odin's altars turned that king away, the first beside the Christian shrine to pray. Pure was the light his moral influence shed, Calmly he waited till the mists had fled, from the dark minds who still in faith could cling to their old altar as a sacred thing, and not from bigot zeal one victim bled. Colours must blend to form one stainless ray, and sounds to make one perfect harmony, and many minds each in a different way the dark enigma of our being see, and from the strivings of the whole evolves. AN ANSWER THAT SUFFICETH THOUGH NOT SOLVES 16. EDWIN AT THE AGE OF THREE YEARS WAS DRIVEN FROM HIS PATERNAL DOMINIONS OF Deira BY ETHELFRITH KING OF NORTHUMBRIA. HE WAS GENEROUSLY BROUGHT UP BY CADVAN IN NORTH WALES. ON ARRIVING AT MANHOOD HE WAS COMPELLED TO LEAVE WALES AND WANDERED MANY YEARS IN SECRET TO ESCAPE ETHELFRITH'S PURSUIT. Being at length sheltered and assisted by Redwold, King of East Anglia, he obtained the throne of his unrelenting foe. Edwin fell in battle in his forty-eighth year, A.D. 633. The Great Edwin of Northumbria, 1. I call thee great, as such would honour thee. Though history hath not titled thus thy name, oft to be mid her great ones is but shame. True man thou wert, and no nobility could add a prouder title To the tree of thy ancestral lineage. King and sage, A brief memorial on a monkish page, Is all that fate hath given thy memory. Yet tis enough if we but look. The shell tells the rock's history, And the crumbling arch the temple's date. And so it needs no swell of pompous words To trace through time's rough march The great and good, Dim shapes, but as we gaze, each form the human and the race displays. 17. The vicissitudes of Edwin's early life had made him thoughtful and contemplative. He was more intellectual than any of the Anglo-Saxon kings who had preceded him. His history, related by the venerable Bede, though brief, is full of interest. Having solicited the hand of the daughter of the Christian king of Kent, her brother objected to her marriage with a worshipper of Odin. Edwin promised not to interfere with her religion, or that of her friends, and added, if he found on examination that Christianity was a religion more worthy of God than his old faith, he would himself adopt it. Edwin of Northumbria, too. He sat beside an antique shrine and thought upon the past as ever think the wise. From it the shapes of the dim future rise and out of it the present must be wrought. A true response to many doubts he sought from God, from nature, from his heart and ne'er did these leave earnest questioner in despair. In thousand ways an answer may be brought not upon nullities do nations live. It is belief alone can give them power. He felt the present had but forms to give, and the past taught him, they but live their hour. The twilight of the gods hath come, he said, and aura's glooms hell's empire of the dead. Footnote. Hell, or Hela, was the Scandinavian death goddess. 18. The life of Edwin was attempted by an assassin commissioned by Quichelm, the pagan king of Wessex. Pretending to be a messenger from his king, he was admitted to Edwin's presence and attacked him with a poisoned dagger. The king was unarmed, but a thane to whom he was much attached was near him. He saw the king's danger and, having no shield, threw himself before his master and received in his own body the blow which it was impossible to arrest. The Thane Lilla, Saving Edwin, 3 Hadst thou been Greek, thy name had been enshrined in living song, and altars had been raised to thee. Loud history would have blazed thy deed, hadst thou been Roman. But I find few who know in thy name, and how entwined it is with nobleness. We turn away from records of our country's early day as if it nought had held of heart or mind. Thou madest thy heart a buckler for thy king. Saxon, t'was nobly done, and I am fain this slow late blooming flower of song to bring unto thy grave. Tribute to thee, how vain, but not for us. One worthy deed well read, thoughts can revive that common life keeps dead. 19. Cadmon appears to have had the care of the cattle of the Abbey of Whitby during the time of Hilda. So far from appearing when young to possess the gift of song, when the harp was passed to him at convivial meetings, he would shrink away and withdraw in tears. One night having thus withdrawn, he laid down and slept. During his sleep a voice said to him, Cadmon, sing me something. I cannot sing, said he. Yet thou must sing to me, said the voice, What shall I sing? The origin of things. His short ode on the creation Is in Alfred's translation of Bede. He was admitted by Hilda among the company She had gathered round her, And died at Whitby, A.D. 680. Cadman, the Anglo-Saxon poet. The ocean billows, and the rock-bound shore the still wide moorland, or the northern sky of changing beauty, on his infancy pressed with their silent influence evermore. Childhood went by, then evening breezes bore from Hilda's gothic pile the chanted hymn, and in the cloister, or the chapel dim, knelt the lone youth in silence to adore. Thus nature trained him for his work through years with a wise sternness, Oft the starry night on which he gazed with longing and wild tears seemed opening for him to the infinite, and thoughts and dreams his heart had kept awoke, and the closed lips at last in music spoke. End of part two.